Psalm 23, this remarkably comforting, encouraging psalm written by this guy, David, who had experienced all of the highs and and all of the lows of life. I mean, if you can imagine that the peaks of life, David had experienced them. But if you can imagine the lows of life, David had experienced those too. If you think about the road of life and when it's smooth and it just seems easy and life just seems great, David knew that at times. But when you think about life and all of its twists and and turns and its unexpected detours and and the pitfalls, David knew all of those too. And out of all of that, all of, out of all of this life's travel, what we get is David reflecting, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing this worship-filled, promise-filled psalm. And it really can be great strength and energy when things are, are good and, and momentum is great in life. It can also be really good comfort when things are. Just this past week, I, I had an opportunity to read that psalm, Psalm 23, uh, at a funeral as there was just a family sitting in their very current and real grief. It's such a real thing. And Psalm 23, and this overflow of promises, it can be a comfort. It can be a strength. And so we've just been listening in over the last few weeks trying to, trying to say, okay, how do we experience this shepherd that this guy David writes about? How do we get more than a, a shepherd theory? How do we get a shepherd experience where we say, whoa, this is what it looks like to live with my shepherd and experience his promises and, and really to receive them as the gift that they are? That's what we've been after. That's what we've been trying to do. And we found ourselves now in a very intimate part of the psalm where, where David is done kind of talking about the shepherd and he's really talking to the, the, the shepherd and, and he makes this really interesting couple of phrases. He says, you prepare this, this table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil, this constant biblical representation of the Holy Spirit. You anoint my head with with oil. You fill my life with the Holy Spirit so that my life actually ends up overflowing like an overflowing cup. But what is David really getting at in this idea of, of you prepare a table for me? I mean, isn't David talking about a shepherd and it's in the wilderness and there's, there's sheep. I mean, what in the world's going on there? Well, well table actually is, is a little bit of a shepherd analogy. Uh, oftentimes what would happen is the shepherd would go out ahead of the sheep and, and during parts of the year, they, they were looking for, for a higher, flatter elevation that would literally be called a table. And they would be trying to get the sheep there for a place of safety and a place where there was plenty to eat and there was water nearby. But the shepherd would have to go up to that table ahead of time to check it out. And the, the shepherd would go and it would, it would scope out where the predator's coming from right now, what predators are actually up here. They would even at times have to kind of explore what, what's, the, what's the grass, what is the pasture, what weeds are here, what flowers are here, which ones are okay, and which ones are actually toxic, which ones are poison. Is this going to be a good table to bring my, my sheep to? And so the shepherd would go out really with the best interest of the sheep to prepare that, that table. But, but here's the reality of that, is that the shepherd would prepare that table at great cost. It wasn't always easy. I mean, the, the shepherd's going, right, to, to scope out predators, maybe to have to remove them, maybe to have to deal with them, at least to try and understand where they're coming from and where the threats are, uh, might be, to look and remove things that are toxic, poisonous, potentially hazardous to, to a sheep. 
The, the shepherd would have to make sure the sheep that he was leaving behind were, were cared for, well cared for. He can't prepare a table and then go back and find he has no sheep left. And the shepherd who already spent long stretches of time with, without any real human contact while he tended sheep, this was just an extension of that, that the shepherd entered into a, another stretch of isolation, potentially experiencing loneliness, just going on ahead for the good of the sheep. So it wasn't just this joyful one-day trip to prepare a table. There was a cost to that. And what David's really writing about and probably didn't fully understand, but what he's writing about and what he's reflecting on, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is, is our good shepherd, Jesus, who will come years, generations after David. And Jesus will come and say, look, I, I am the good shepherd. I'm going to lead the way for you. I'm going to make a way for you. I'm this good shepherd. And, and Jesus, like, like David as a shepherd, would have gone and prepared a table for his sheep, a place where they could and eventually be together and where the sheep could be cared for and where the sheep could be provided for. Well, that's what Jesus does. Like Jesus goes in front of us and he makes this way for us to be with him, to experience his presence. But it comes at great cost, right? I mean, you get Jesus as this, this shepherd and What's he do? He lays down his life. He allows his body to, to be broken. He, he allows his blood to be poured out. He experiences the loneliness of death. He experiences the pain of our sin and our toxicity and, our, and the poison of our life. Jesus takes that as, as our good shepherd. He actually more than takes it, he actually becomes that. He absorbs that for us as a way to prepare his presence for us, for us to be together. He actually tells us about it in, in what now we, we call the Last Supper, the last meal he would share with his disciples before his death and resurrection. And he breaks the bread in front of them. And he says, this, is, this represents my body. It's, it's going to be broken for you. As he's trying to help them understand the cross that's coming. This is my blood and it's going to be spilled out for you. I will give up my life so you could have life. I will literally empty my life out so that your life can be full. He's preparing this, this way for them. And even in our, our time together this morning, we're gonna share in communion this remembrance of this last supper and just this receiving of the bread and the juice that remind us that, wait a second, Jesus has prepared his, his presence for me, but it did come at a cost. It's just a chance for us not, not to feel guilty about the cost, but just to appreciate it again to be grateful again, to be impacted by it again. The shepherd does prepare a table. He prepares his presence, the opportunity for the sheep and the shepherd to be together in a good place, but it comes at a great cost. But, but here's what's also really fun about this is, is that the shepherd also prepares the table with great excitement. There's great anticipation of being together and at this table and the, and the communion together and the enjoyment of the, of the presence. The, the Bible actually talks about Jesus going to the cross with the joy set before him. Well, listen, let's just be honest. The joy wasn't the cross. The joy wasn't the literal pain and agony. The joy, the joy was obeying and honoring his father and creating a way to be united with the people that he loved with the joy set before him, 
He endures the cross and takes this, this shame. There's great excitement in Jesus in preparing this table for us. And, and so again, later, when we, when we take communion together, there's, there's this great appreciation at the cost of Jesus, but there's this great appreciation for the reality that Jesus would do this with excitement about being with me. Shepherd prepares a, a table, and there's, it's at a cost, but there's also great excitement. But, but here's the challenge point, right? Here, here's what feels weird about David's writing in this moment. It's, it's that it's not just about a cost and about some excitement, but he says, you prepare this table for me. You invite me to your, your presence in the presence of my <laughs> enemies. Now, I don't, I don't know about you. It's, 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 it's just me. Maybe you're further down the road than me, but I want that to say, you prepare a table for me in the absence of my enemies, not the presence, right? You prepare a table for me, and then I don't have any enemies anymore ever, right? But Jesus is honest with us when he's on earth as our good shepherd, right? He says, hey, look, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have hard times. I want you to take heart. I've overcome all of that, but, but it doesn't mean you're not going to bump into that. It doesn't mean that, that your life won't have some enemies, uh, David uses a word for enemies. It's, it's kind of a, a, a simple word that, that we will resonate with. The Hebrew word is tassar, and it simply means to show hostility. We all know what it's like, right, to, to have somebody in our life that shows hostility towards us. It might be in a quick, heated moment of an argument, and you know they don't really mean it, but it gets said anyway. <laughs> and you, they wish they could take it back, and you wish they could take it back. But there's a lot of forgiveness. It's quick. There's a lot of love in the relationship. They weren't really your enemy. It just felt like it in the moment. But we also know what it's like to live with more ongoing enemies, people and systems, structures, organizations that, that they just feel like they're hostile towards us. It feels like they maybe not even aggressively hostile, but passively hostile, where they just are resistant and they won't let us in or we can never really figure out how to play that version of the game. Sometimes our, our enemies aren't even people. There are these things that feel like they show hostility towards us. Some of our fears and our worries, sickness, our anxieties, our discouragement, I mean, there's been times in my life, maybe years too, where I've just lived with this weighty, oppressive, almost grayness or even darkness in my life. And no one person and no one thing seemingly the cause, but it's like it's my enemy. It's being hostile towards me. Our addictions, our vices, the trauma we experienced that we didn't choose, the pain, the suffering, the loss, it, it can feel like it's our adversary, like it's against us, it's hostile towards us. And look, most of that really is because most of that comes from one real adversary and enemy of, of Jesus, right? There is a real enemy of Jesus named Satan who is hostile towards Jesus. So by default, it's hostile towards people Jesus loves. That's, that's humanity, right? Yet David says, it was in the middle of all these enemies that I had. It was in the middle of people who were trying to kill me, people who were trying to remove me as king, people who were overlooking me and passing me by. It was in the middle of all of that that I learned you prepared a table for me, like in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. Here's what David came to understand. 
of what the Spirit is in, would invite us to understand. Is that really when, when we sat down in the shepherd's presence, when we sit down in the presence of Jesus, enemies are still real. They just don't feel quite as strong. Here's something you just, here's just something you got to know, right? You just have to know this. And, and maybe for some of you, you won't get anything else today, but this will be the word that Jesus plants in your heart and you live with it for a while. It's simply this, that Jesus has never been intimidated by your enemy. Jesus has never been intimidated by your enemies. Jesus has never been intimidated by your trauma. He's compassionate in it. Jesus has never been intimidated by your anxiety or your uncertainty. He's calming and leading in it. Jesus has never been intimidated by the person that is determined to ruin your life. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother in it. Jesus has never been intimidated by the person you think is supposed to be for you, but who actually is living against you. Jesus' truth and consistency in your life. Jesus has never been intimidated. Whatever your enemy is right now, whatever the screaming, taunting enemy in your life is right now, there has not been a blink in which Jesus has been intimidated by your enemy. David lived with lots of enemies. Some of them he probably deserved and some of them he didn't. And what he came to this understanding is, oh man, the shepherd prepares a table for me right in the presence of my enemies because my shepherd's never been intimidated by my enemies. Never, never. Shepherd's never been intimidated by my enemies. And when we, when we come to understand that, what we begin to understand is this really life-giving truth uh, about being a follower of Jesus and being in Jesus' presence. And it's, it's really simply this, that, that really living in freedom isn't even about the absence of our enemies. It's about the presence of our shepherd. Living, living in freedom is not about the absence of our enemies. It's about the presence of our shepherd. Jesus said, again, remember, you're going to have trouble. There are going to be things in this life that don't work. There are going to be things that seem hostile against you. He warned us that that was going to happen. We don't escape them to get to Jesus. We come to Jesus to quiet them. We come to Jesus to quiet them. Living in freedom, it, it's not about escaping our enemies. It's about the presence. It's about the presence of our shepherd, who then helps us live in his strength and in his victory and in, and in his understanding of the place that those enemies really have. So, so here's the promise in all of that. If, if, if there's just a life-giving promise in the middle of this part of the psalm, here's the, here's the promise in that. It's that the shepherd's table, this representation of the presence of Jesus, the, our shepherd, the shepherd's table moves our focus from our enemy to our shepherd. The shepherd's table takes our focus and it moves it from our enemy and it puts it, it puts it right on our shepherd. And here's why that's so huge, why the invitation to that matters so much is because whatever we are focused on first is what we have given authority to first. Whatever we're focused on first in our life, that's what has authority. So as long as our first focus is the enemy, is, is fear, is worry, is doubt, is uncertainty, is sickness, is disruption, is darkness, is, is spiritual oppression or spiritual warfare, as long as that is the first focus, it's what we've given authority to. And Jesus, in his death and resurrection, he actually disarmed all of those things. 
the only way they ever have authority is if we give it to them, if we grant it to them. As followers of Jesus, we get to sit in Jesus' authority. We get to sit in his presence. And when we sit at his table, he shifts our focus from our enemies to himself. And everything starts to change. When the focus changes, everything starts to change. And then instead of trying to beat back an enemy, we get to live in his strength to win over an enemy. We get to live in a victory he's already won. Instead of trying to win a victory, we live with the one who already won a victory. We, it changes everything. Shifts our focus. Um, for a long time, I, I loved, I mean, I loved playing softball, probably too much. And I often said for different life seasons and everything else, I would have played softball every night of the week. That, that never ended up being my life season, but I loved it. Uh, I just ended up being a guy who got to play one night a week for short Michigan summers for a lot of my life. And a handful of years ago, I was on a team, I was with a group of guys, and, and they were gracious enough to let me play. They were all far better softball players than I was, and they let me play. Um, I think it might have been because I was a pastor and they didn't know how to tell the pastor no anymore. He couldn't play, but they, they let me play, right? And I was very, very grateful. And I remember one summer in particular, we, for whatever reason, uh, we just had a really good year and we won a lot of games in the league we were in. And it wasn't because we were necessarily any better. We just kind of got on a roll one summer and it just, it kind of happened. And that was great. And it was so much fun. The risk of that is the following summer, the organization which you play, they bump you up another league because they think you're too good for the league you were just in. And so they bump you up a, a league. And so then we found ourselves in a league that we had no business being in. Uh, we just... We were then playing with a bunch of guys who did play every night of the week and did play. And we, I mean, we, we just had no business being in that league. So it was a little longer summer, a little harder summer. And you get to the end of the year, and you, you're in this tournament time. And, and you get, if you lose one game, it's over, and that's the end of your summer softball, right? It's just that's how it ends. It's with some loss. And we kind of know we're, we're overmatched. We know that we don't stand much of a chance in this thing, right? We show up the first night, and sure enough, we look at the team. We've played them before. They've probably crushed us multiple times already this summer. We just know our odds are not great, right? It's, 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 it's kind of working against us. And yet, we've got this one guy who had played with us throughout the summer here and there when he could get there, be, when work allowed him to get there. And while most of us were just, you know, we were okay softball players, and this guy was probably the best softball player I'd ever played with. He was faster than everybody else, stronger than everybody else, better than he could hit better, field better. It just He was better. I had never really played with anybody quite like him. And we didn't think he was going to make the first game. His work schedule was a little tight and tough. We didn't think he was going to make the first game. And so we thought, this is the end of our season. Well, just before we go out on the field to, to actually start this game, our team's going to be in the field first. And just before we go out, he shows up. He, he had gotten out of work, and he shows up, and, and he comes running from the parking lot over to the field. He's going to actually play with us. And I still remember taking the field, everybody realizing that he has showed up. And I remember following one of my friends out on the field, and my friend is literally skipping out onto the field, hitting one hand into his glove and saying, we got a chance now. We got a chance now. I mean, so excited. And the only thing that had changed is one guy had showed up, just one guy who just happened to be the best player. One guy in a field of 10 other guys could change everything. We got a chance now. We got a chance now. One guy changed our focus from the other team that we thought we stood no chance against. And it moved that focus and it just put on this one guy. 
who is better than everybody else on the field. It's what focus can do. It's what the presence of the right person can do. It's what the presence of Jesus does. The shepherd's table moves our focus from that enemy, the one that on our own feels like we could never beat and that we've tried to beat for a really long time. And it moves our focus to this shepherd who is our victory. And all of a sudden we see in his face confidence and compassion and hope and excitement for our life and belief in what he's already done for us. And it begins to change the very fabric of our core. Because just because the focus changed, Jesus prepares a table for us in the presence of very real enemies. And when we sit down at the table, the focus moves from the enemy to our Jesus. And everything changes. Everything changes. In a room like this, here's the reality, and we say this a lot. There, there are so many different stories being lived right now, right in this moment. There are so many different stories being lived in, but there's a common thread, is that we all have some people and some things that feel hostile towards us. And maybe it's as dramatic as, as a trauma or an enormous loss or a, a breakdown in a significant relationship. Maybe it's as subtle as just this quiet, nagging voice of, of discouragement or despair or wonder. Or doubt. And you just you don't know what to do with it. Just, it's just pesky or this, this one pesky temptation. It just keeps poking around, right? doesn't matter. The solution is the same to all of them. It's to come to the presence of Jesus and let the focus be just to enjoy his presence again. And, and so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to allow ourselves some time just to sit, to be in the presence of Jesus, to come to the table that he's prepared for us and express our gratefulness and our amazement again that he would even do this for us. And then to just say, hey, Jesus, would you capture my attention? I'm putting my focus on you. Heal what needs to be healed. Push down what needs to be pushed down. Deliver me from what I need to be delivered from. Free me from what I need to be freed from. My freedom is more about your presence than it is about the absence of whatever those things are. So we're going to do that a couple of ways. Our, our team is going to come, and we're going to do that in song. We're going to really sing about the grace that gives us the opportunity to be with Jesus, to be in his presence, to live in his presence, not to have presence moments, but to have a presence life. We're going to we're going to take communion together. There's, there's tables of communion available for you, and you'll be able to move at your own pace and experience that. Uh, a couple of our prayer partners are going to be in the back and available for you because maybe you just need somebody to pray with you, to help that focus, to pray with you for the focus, to look into the face of Jesus and see his confidence, his hope, his encouragement, and let it just lift your head a little bit. Let it instill your confidence of what it's looked like, what it looks like to live not necessarily with the absence of enemies, but in the full presence of Jesus that changes everything. So I want to invite you to stand, and in just a second, I'm, I'm going to pray for us. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. Uh, when, I'm, when we're done with that prayer, uh, again, any of these options are available to you. you. I hope that you just will engage in just singing this song of prayer and worship to Jesus about the gift of his presence. You can move to the front and take communion, take the bread and the juice, take it back to your seat and take it at your own pace. You can come whenever you're ready for that. You don't have to come when everybody else in your row goes, uh, but come and you can take that back to your seat and take it at your own pace. Or prayer people are available for you in the back. There's some signs up on the back wall, and that's where you'll find them. If a little line forms like it did last week, that's great. We fully anticipate that, and everybody's ready for that. But let me pray for us as we just enter in to this time. Jesus, we are grateful, grateful, grateful. 
for the gift of your presence. There's nothing like it. You really do. I mean, just one moment with you, a millisecond with you, puts so many things in perspective. All of the enemies of our life, all of these voices that are, that are trying to distract or discourage or even go so far as to taunt us, you've really disarmed all of them. And when we lock in and our focus comes on you, you're going to show us how you how you enable us to live in victory over them, how you enable us to live in freedom over them. We're so grateful we don't have to fight them on our own. We are so grateful we don't have to escape them to get to you, but we get to come to you so that you help us live free from them. Jesus, we're grateful even now in this moment. Would you please, would you please, would you please capture the fullness of our attention with the gift of your presence. Even now, I pray that many of us would be shocked at how quickly quiet the voices of the enemy become. The only way for that to happen is your presence. And so we are grateful for your invitation to be with you, to sit with you, to live with you. We honor you with our thanks. We trust you with our movement. In Jesus' name. Time is yours. You move whenever you're ready. Let's sing, share, and communion together.